If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fifth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please click that subscribe button. Follow us for authentic and encouraging Christian content. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Or check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. You'll find blogs, sermons, study guides, podcast links, and lots of free stuff. We hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight in our study, Luke 2. We're going to focus on one of the latter stories, probably one of the most memorable stories of Jesus' early life. Um, I did remember, I I said I had an announcement, I just couldn't remember what it was. Uh, We have decided on the fourth, or on the last Wednesday, it didn't have to be the fourth Wednesday, the last Wednesday of the month, um, the Rock and Rollers group from the Wednesday morning class is going to be going to lunch together. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, We'll be going on the 31st this month. Uh, We're going to be going to Cracker Barrel. So as soon as class ends Wednesday morning, we'll go to Cracker Barrel. And um, if you would like to go and be a part of it, uh, Micah and Candy are going to help organize that. Uh, So uh, we would love to have you come and be a part of it. Even if you're not a rock and roller and you want to come join us for lunch that day, uh, we're going to give them a heads up as to how many to expect. So, So just do... Uh, keep that in mind, because we'd love to have you go with us. Uh, also, I wanted to mention uh, tonight, we had Sunday morning, uh, Micah, or, uh, Becky and Terry came forward, and uh, they're not feeling well tonight, so they're not here. They didn't feel well this morning. But please keep praying for her, uh, for their situation. She has some tests on Friday, and uh, we definitely need to be remembering them in prayer on a daily basis. Um, I know there are others. I mentioned Tony Gill this morning in class two. He's, uh, to my knowledge, he's still at um, South Baldwin, but he, he didn't. He wasn't expected to make it. Did he pass away today? Oh no. Okay. Uh, so please be in prayer for the Gill family. I know he was he had a rough go here towards the end. So please, please pray for them as well. So in Luke chapter two. Uh, we're not given a lot of information about Jesus' early life. Uh, there are a couple stories here where, as we mentioned last week, Zechariah receives the message that he's going to have a child. Uh, Elizabeth, obviously, is, is going to bear that child, and Mary goes to stay with her until the baby's born, and she goes back home. But after Jesus is born, and we're probably familiar with the story, in fact, if you've ever watched the Peanuts uh, uh, it's Christmas Charlie Brown episode, which is the best of all of them, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they have Linus reads or quotes from uh, the book of Luke, and it's the first part of the reading in this chapter. Um, we're used to studying about the events of, say, uh, the wise men. Uh, we are used to talking and studying about the shepherds in the field. Uh, There's another story here when Jesus is brought to be circumcised on verse 21 um, when he is eight days old. And, of course, he is uh, met by Simeon 
and kind of a neat little story there, a man who wanted to see the kingdom of God come. And then there's another uh, lady here in the story, uh, somewhat of a prophetess, someone who had spent time in the temple waiting to see the Christ child, and her name's Anna. Really neat little stories. But other than that, we don't have any interaction from that time, which would be uh, with the wise men. Probably he could have been up to two years old. Uh, it's not, we have manger scenes you see sometimes and see the wise men there, but it's very likely that that wasn't all the same night. It may have been sometime in the near future they were trying to find him. Uh, but when we come to the last part of the story uh, of the early life of Jesus, Jesus is 12 years old. In Jewish culture, when you turn 12 years old, uh, boys will go through the uh, bar mitzvah. You're probably, maybe you've heard that term before. It's basically their, um, their time to be promoted, to be seen as men. Uh, They're supposed to be reading uh, the Word of God. They have to read Scripture publicly, so they've learned the language. Uh, they also have agreed that they will be responsible for their own sacrifices and prayers. So it's kind of like, to them, uh, the age, what we would say, of accountability. Now, that didn't mean that they automatically had to go out and get a job, okay, at 12 years old, but it was that you need to take ownership and responsibility for your life, and that one day soon you'll be out from underneath your parents' home, and you're going to have to make some very important decisions. Girls, they go for a bat mitzvah, very similar, and those events are like the highlight of the kid's early life. Jesus, at this particular age, is in the temple, and we'll read here in the story as Jesus' custom was, his parents would stay uh, there near town. They would go into town for the feast, and then they would travel home. To give you a little bit of background, I'm going to read the text, but give you a little bit of background. It was not uncommon for people who lived a great distance from Jerusalem to travel in groups. And they usually traveled either in a family group or in a group from their community. So imagine if there's some big event that's taking place in, say, Montgomery, uh, and, and there is a large group here from Foley and Somerdale that want to go. We would travel together, safety in numbers. They would pool their resources, uh, which is really nice. If you don't have a, a donkey to ride on and you're along with the group, you might get a ride on one. Um, so they had sheep that they had to care for and tend, and so they're moving those across. What ends up happening often is they, they would send ahead the women and children, because if they sent the women and children ahead of the group, the men then could catch up. And so they usually had a good day heads up. The men could catch them before the first nightfall, or at least before the sun rises on the next day. And so it would not be uncommon for them to do what we see here. More than likely, Jesus had made this trek every time, unless barring some terrible sickness, uh, he would have went with his parents on this trip. And his, his parents would have... Sp- treated this like a, kind of like a family reunion. It was an exciting time. So when we see in a moment that they can't find Jesus, there's not a lot of panic at first until they realize that he is truly missing. So let's go to verse 41. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished... The days, as they return, remember it's a week-long event, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. 
But supposing him to be in, have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So it was now that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who, who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement by which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So they lose Jesus, okay? They lose him. They can't find him. They don't know where he is. They have some assumptions of where he might be. So this is more than likely uh, the way that it happened. They got ready to leave Jerusalem as they normally would, and the women and children would go ahead. Now, remember, Jesus is how old? He's 12. So is he with the women and children, or is he with the men? They hadn't worked that out. Jesus has always went with his mother and with the children because he was a child. When it comes this time of his age where he's supposed to be with the men, mom probably assumes he's with the men. And Joseph, realizing he's never traveled with Jesus to this point, probably in that group, he's expecting him to be with his mom. So that's one reason why they probably didn't have any fear until the men catch up with the women and they then begin to bed down for the night. Now, that means that they have gone a whole day's journey without Jesus and didn't know it. So what they would have done is they would have stayed the night. It's it's not not popular, and it should, you shouldn't travel at night. You shouldn't travel alone. And so the next morning, they would have got up as quickly as they could at sun, sun, sunrise and would have made the full day journey back. So two, can you imagine the worry? Could you even sleep with your child missing all through the night? Then you pick up all your stuff, whatever you have, and remember, they have other kids, right? They got to get back to Jerusalem. And so they make this trek on that full second day. And so it isn't really until the third day after Jesus has been missing that they find him because they begin to retrace their steps. Now, whether Jesus was in the temple when they left, whether he turned around and went back to the temple, we don't know. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. But we see here this panic of a mother who understands the significance of the age of Jesus and that he is to take responsibility for who he is. Now, what's the Passover symbolize? The Passover was a yearly feast that reminded them of coming out of Egypt. But even in the the, uh, use of the Passover according to the Old Testament, they were to look forward to the atoning Passover lamb that would die for all. It's part of a, um, go back to Exodus chapter 12, that feast that they observed was partly about recognizing that God passed over the houses where they had the blood on the doorposts, but also that they were looking forward to a Passover lamb that would die once for all. So of all the feasts each year, this was the most messianic. It was the time when they would sit around as rabbis 
and basically do what we do at Lads to Leaders. It's Bible Bowl. And they're asking questions. Where is the Messiah to be born? How long is he supposed to be in Egypt? Why is he called a Nazarene? What do we know about the mother of the Messiah? Well, if you're asking those kinds of questions, and the Passover lamb, Jesus, is in the audience, not only does he know every question and every answer, that's like, that's like you're answering trivia about your own life, you know? Where did Ray Reynolds go to high school? Anybody? Anybody? That's an easy point for me, you know? Uh, what's my birth date? Come on, anybody? I know that. What's my mama's name? Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm three for nothing here. I'm a three, three and oh. Every question they were asking, every prophecy they were referring to in the Passover was about Jesus. So it would make sense that he is so familiar with these prophecies and with these teachings and any other question they wanted to ask for, for that matter, he knows the answers. And that's why they're so amazed. How does he know all this stuff? Well, it's questions about his life. He is the Passover lamb. He is the Messiah. And I think this is the age that Jesus begins to comprehend what the end of the mission is. Now, this is before the Holy Spirit is poured out on him in baptism. This is before his baptism with John. This is before a lot of the events, like with his first miracle. None of that's happened yet. He's young. He's 12. But he is making it clear to his mother, don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? In other words, he's saying to his mom, we both know that's not my dad. Okay? Now, if you have stepchildren, this is a hard one. This is a hard one. And they will say it to you. And sometimes it's not necessarily mean, but they will say, you're not my dad. You're not my mom. And it hurts. It hurts. But notice that he's not being disrespectful because immediately he goes and he is subject to his parents. So he respects both his mother and his, his stepfather, if you want to call him that. He's respectful, but he knows that his mission is beyond... Nazareth, that he's got work to do in Jerusalem. Uh, so he's beginning to think about what we would see as the cross, even though that's many years into the future. So it's a really neat little story, but I think there's a lot we can unpack from it. Uh, another thing, too, is that the scribes and the Pharisees and those that are present that are asking these questions, he's asking questions to them, and he's, it says he's answering questions. So more than likely, if you ever have a class, if you teach a class and you have a know-it-all, okay, what are you going to do with the, the kid who answers all the questions? You're going to come up with harder questions, aren't you? They could not stump Jesus. Even at that age, they knew something was special. He understood prophecy. He knew where to find things in Scripture. He understood the value of being a rabbi at 12 years old. So there's a lot that we don't know, but that's what we can take away from it, is that he was a very special young man, and they knew that, and so did his parents. Uh, he's still in trouble, kind of, you know, because <laughs> he's been missing, but it's not necessarily his fault. I don't think that Jesus was intentionally trying to upset his mother. 
And the reason why I know that is even at the cross, he's taking care of his mom. He's making sure that John is going to take care of her. He, he loved his mother. He performs his first miracle because basically she tells him to. So in this moment, I don't think he's being disrespectful. I just think he's having one of those aha moments that the prophecies are being fulfilled before his very eyes, and he knows who he is, and he understands where he's supposed to be headed. Um, now, whether or not he got all this wisdom in that moment, or if it was slowly revealed, is a great question we'll have to ask one day. I don't know. But I know that in this moment, according to his words and what he was doing, he knew, I believe he knew that he was the Messiah, or at least was understanding that there were similarities between him and the Messiah. Does that make sense? So three questions tonight. How did they lose him? (laughs) How do we lose him? And how can we avoid losing him? All right, so let's start with the first one. So how did they lose him? Well, first of all, they're traveling on the road. So it's possible, like I said, he was with relatives. He was with friends. uh, And that assurance that they had that he was safe was false. I mean, he was safe technically, but he wasn't where they thought he was supposed to be. We have to understand that we have people that we know that they don't know Jesus like we do. And they don't always know, if you will, where to find him. If someone had stayed with Jesus by his side, they would have known exactly where he was. I don't know that they had to look that long because they go to the temple because that's probably the last place that they were with him together, offering sacrifices. But traveling with Jesus means that you're side by side. You don't go ahead of Jesus, and you don't fall behind Jesus. They lost him because they were not walking with him. That's an illustration for us today. If we're not walking with Jesus, then we'll lose him. Uh, When you lose him, where do they find him? Where do they do what? Where they left him, right where they left him, in the temple. There, you remember the story, I've used this story before about the little kid in the back of the car driving away from the church building. He goes, bye Jesus, we'll see you next week, you know. Uh, We don't meet Jesus here. Hopefully we have Jesus traveling with us everywhere we go. But when people lose sight of Jesus, they can come back to where they first met him. There's nothing special about the water in this baptistry back here. It's Baldwin County water. But we've had a lot of special moments in this baptistry. There's been a lot of special moments in this church building, on this property. And so you will see, especially this time of the year when people are working on resolutions and stuff. In fact, I guess today is is the day that more people drop their resolutions today. I forget what the name of it is, but January 10th is supposed to be the day that, that people give up. But if people are making resolutions to do better, we're going to see people coming in that hadn't been here in a while. And they're trying to get back to Christ. And they may use uh, an assembly time to make that happen. So we have to be attentive to it. And then, of course, they find him, and we can find him. Uh, We shouldn't ever lose him in the first place. So let's notice a couple things, and we'll have some conversation about this too. I don't know that we necessarily need a mic, but we can... So how do we lose Jesus? Well, one is we let him slowly slip out of our grasp. We stop paying attention to the value of a relationship with Christ. You don't stop praying just because you decide you don't want to pray anymore. It's usually because you don't feel like you're getting what you want. When it comes to Bible study, 
Uh, most people, honestly, they stop reading because they get either lost, misunderstand, can't pronounce words, and they give up. It's not that they don't want to read their Bible, but they kind of lose their grasp on it. Um, and so we need to be careful that we don't let Jesus slip out of our grasp. Another one is they take him for granted. Uh, you know people who, who say, in fact, I'll give you this illustration. I, said, I had a guy one time, him and his wife were talking to me about coming to church, and they had stopped coming to church. And uh, she said, I think it was her, said, well, don't you know, um, Gus Nichols was my great uncle. I said, okay. Well, he was my great uncle. Okay. Is that your get out of jail free card? Or your get out of hell free card? Is that just because you are the niece or nephew or cousin or son or grandson or spouse of somebody who was, is well-loved and well-respected within the church does not guarantee eternal salvation. The only relationship that will get you into heaven's gates is your relationship with Jesus. That's the only relationship that matters. And some people, they say, well, I go to church. You know, I tithe. Some people say that when you talk to them about religion. They say, well, I give money. I, um, you know, I, I, I've read through my Bible once. And we, we can't allow ourselves to become uh, in that mindset that we're, we're works-only oriented. We're supposed to be works-driven, but not works-only. We're not saved just by works. We're saved by all of the other things that we've talked about before. We're saved by baptism. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. But James says if you're working, that ought to be a sign of your faith. But working alone is not going to save you. You have to have a lot of other things going in that direction. So don't take them for granted. Another one is looking for him in the wrong places. Uh, people will look for salvation in the bottle of a, bottom of a bottle. They'll look for salvation in a prescription bottle or alcohol bottle. They will look for salvation in relationships. Um, you ever heard somebody say, he's, he, he, she's like a God or he's like a God to me? Um, we put people up on a pedestal where God is supposed to be. And we look for, look for salvation in things that cannot save that will not save. People bury their time in their entertainment. Uh, and sometimes it's because we're, we just want to get our mind off everything. You ever felt that way? You ever come home from work and you're just so exhausted and you're just like, I just want to watch TV or I just want to take a nap. You know, I just want to get my mind off everything. I don't want to have to do anything. And, um, and so we need to be careful that we're looking for Jesus in the right places. Another one is we might blame him when something's really our fault. You know, have you ever heard people say, why is God letting this happen to me? Why is God punishing me? Why, why does God hate me? Why is, and it really is, sometimes it's, it's our own fault. Um, I knew a, a man one time who was dying of lung cancer. And he said, I don't understand why God's letting this happen to me. I don't understand why, he's, why he gave me cancer. And I wanted to say, well, you smoked for 45 years. God didn't put the cigarette in your hand. You chose, and therefore there are, unfortunately, consequences from sins that we commit. There are a lot of people that will blame God uh, for having liver failure when they've been an alcoholic. Uh, they'll blame God when they get a STD, when they're the ones that have been promiscuous. We cannot blame God for things that are our fault. 
We have to take uh, ownership, accountability for it. You can't blame God for th- everything. And some people blame the devil. You know, the devil made me do it, right? That's the old, uh, I guess Eve tried that in the garden, right? It was that snake that you put in here. When really, she should have said, I'm sorry, God, for what I did. And Adam does the same thing, doesn't he? It was that woman you gave me. And instead of saying, God, I'm sorry, I made a huge mistake. Please forgive me. We can't blame God for our problems. And then finally, we can lose Jesus by forgetting that he's always where he's supposed to be. (laughs) He's always where he's supposed to be. I'm the one that's where I'm not supposed to be. And he's going to come back too, by the way. I I can't forget that he's going to return. If I forget that, I'm going to lose Jesus. Let me stop here for just a moment. Any other things that you think of when you see this list that you could say a way that we could lose Jesus or neglect our relationship with Jesus? Anybody? How can we neglect our relationship with Christ? You ever known a couple who come and they say, it's just not working. We want a divorce. It's not working. Counselor begins to talk to him. What's the problem? You know, what's the... What's the issue, the heart of the issue? Well, we don't talk to each other anymore. Ding, ding, ding. You know, relationships break down when you stop talking to one another. Our relationship with the Lord breaks down when we stop talking to Him, when we stop praising Him for the good stuff, when we stop focusing on the fact that He is supposed to be the number one priority in my life. Jesus in the story knows exactly where He's supposed to be. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And when his mom says, here, we got something else we need to do, he goes and he follows her instruction. That's a good lesson, by the way, if you got a kid, that even Jesus listened to his mom at 12 and said, no, you can't do this. Jesus listened to his mother. He, he had respect for her, and she knew she held all those things in her heart that it was going to be okay. What else do you think about other ways we can lose Jesus or lose our relationship with Christ? That's right. Where did he? He didn't move. I'm the one that moved. That's a good point, is that we, we maybe have a little bit of overconfidence that we're going to be all right. Um, I do believe we're in the right place. We're in the New Testament church. It's where we're supposed to be. But just because I have my name in a directory does not assure me of my salvation. Just because I was baptized on March 27, 1988, and I could tell you when and where and who did it, doesn't guarantee me salvation. I have to continue to work, serve, sacrifice. I have to live for Christ. Uh, This morning in our class, I asked the question, how many of you would die for your spouse? I mean, we no question. Most of us would. We would say, absolutely, I would die for my spouse. But the problem's not dying for them, it's living for them. It's choosing every day to sacrifice for your spouse. And it's the same in our relationship with God. I would die for my faith, but will I die every day for my faith? Will I live as a living sacrifice every day? Will I every morning surrender when I take that first breath? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Can you imagine if you just spent 30 days being that person who the first breath you say, God, what you got for me? All right, Lord, I'm going to go do this. I want you to bless it. I want to work through it. I want to talk to somebody about Christ today. I'm going to read. What did Jesus want me to do? He'd want me to read my Bible. He'd want me to pray. I'm going to get on my knees and pray. I'm going to spend an hour in prayer. If you every day for 30 days had that kind of an attitude, You'd be amazed. Uh, you probably would ha- lose some friends. 
because they would get tired of you talking about Jesus. But you, you, we have to have the mindset that we live every single day for Christ. Salvation is not just an experience in water. We continue to work out our salvation. We continue to serve because we can fall. Uh, and I think that that goes back to what Hazel was saying. There's some people that believe that once you're saved, that's all you have to do. I mean, you're, I'm good. I'm good. I can't imagine telling young people that uh, once you're saved, you're always saved. You just do follow him one time and you're good to go. Say a little prayer and you're good to go. Um, go to the water and you're fine from here on out. Um, the devil's going to hit you extremely hard and we need to be prepared for that. Is it possible to lose Jesus today in our life? Absolutely it is. Uh, another question we might ask is, why would we be so careless with our relationship with Christ? Why would you be so careless? Why would you not consider that as the most important relationship that you have? You've got to love your spouse. You've got to love your kids. You need to love your enemies. You've got to love your brother, your sister. But the Lord comes first. And so therefore, if Christ is first in my life, it impacts every other decision in my life. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we attribute love to, you know, I love coffee, you know. I love my dog, right? Hello? I love my football team, moment of silence tonight. Moment of silence. I love, I love certain things. You love certain things, but... What does that word love mean? We have kids that are in the fourth grade that are trying to figure out what kind of a valentine to prepare for in a month to give to a little kid because they love them, you know. And next week, they're going to be pulling their hair on the playground. But right now, they're thinking they love. And they will, you'll watch young people. It really scares me, too, that we're letting our kids get into a relationship so young. That's just my opinion is that they're, they're, they're going in saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you know, showering them with gifts, and then they break up, and it's like a divorce in the whole school or the youth group. I've known kids that break up in the youth group, they have to go to separate churches. They can't even go to the same church anymore because they were holding hands at 12 and 13, and then they broke up, and you know, they'll go to another youth group and find another kid. And we, you're right, we teach our kids, you, know, you can love everything, but... There has to be a different word, and that's why I like the word covenant when we talk about marriage, is it's a covenant. It's not about love. It's not about, um, it's not, it's not about having a piece of paper that proves that I'm married to somebody. Love is about covenant, that we are in covenant with God, and we're both going to take it seriously. So that, that has to be addressed, and if I treated my relationship with God the way I treat my spouse— what does that look like? You know, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5, but I think probably the best example is what Peter says in 1 Peter. He actually says that the men should be careful how they treat their wives or their prayers will be hindered. So if you mistreat your spouse, it affects your prayer life. So your relationship with the Lord, if it's coming first, you're treating everybody with love. You're treating everybody by the golden rule. You're, you're, you're focused on how your love with God and your love with the Lord can be passed down to every other relationship around you. If you're a good Christian and you're a lover of God, then you should be a good citizen in your country. You, know, you should be a good husband or wife. You should be a good child, mother, father. You should be a good neighbor. You know, Christians don't start feuds with their neighbors. You know, it really amazes me, too, that the Hatfields and McCoys both said that they were religious people, yet they were 
killing each other for centuries. So we, we have to come to this mindset that if I love God, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect the way I drive. Uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect who I wave to, right? Or don't. We think about our people at work. If I'm a Christian and I love God, it affects how I treat my coworkers, my boss, my employees, if I'm an owner of a business. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, the, that's part of it when we lose Jesus is we're just focused too much on what we want. And there's a lot of things we want. You know, we, and some things we want are good, but do they glorify God? Are they good enough to glorify the Lord? So we kind of have to lay aside that selfish mindset and say, if I really want to follow the Lord and I need to be connected, I need to have a relationship with God, I need to have a, a grasp of the Word of God to be able to say that I'm a true follower of Jesus. So how do we avoid, it's the third question, how do we avoid losing Jesus? Well, one is, as, and going back to all three of the five of those things we mentioned, one is we've got to stop taking him for granted. We've got to stop thinking, listen, God doesn't owe you anything, okay? God does not owe me anything. I am grateful for what God gives, but I'll tell you, and, and I hope that you can appreciate the fact that hell is where I belong. That's where you belong, because we're sinners. But because of God's love, and because of His grace, and because I've done certain things to try to stay in the good graces of God, I know where I'm going to spend eternity. We cannot take Christ, we cannot take the Lord for granted. We've got to know, uh, and I love, the Hebrew writer kind of throws in a few things towards the end of the book as he's closing out, and especially in chapter 10 and 11, but he says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's, and that's right in the middle of, he's talking about the Hall of Fame of Faith and all that stuff. He's about to get into that section of all that. And he says, you don't want to fall into the hands of a God that is living and active. So uh, we need to be careful that we're always doing things in, in connection to the Word of God. I'm doing things based on what God has told me to do. So I, I don't take him for granted. One is I've got to stop ignoring God's voice. You know how annoying it is? If you have kids, you know this. If you're married, you know this. Well, how do you feel when you get ignored? You know? Honestly, how do you feel when somebody's just not listening? I mean, they will not listen. You go in there and you tell them, and you tell them again, and you tell them again, and you tell them again, and one more time. You may even text it to them, write it down, leave them a voicemail, send them an email, and there are when somebody doesn't listen to you, it, it just, man, can you hear me, right? Can you hear me? Turn your hearing aid on, you know? You, you may go and pull on their ear. Say, listen to me, listen up. You, we hate being ignored. How do you think God feels when we, when we don't pay attention to what he's told us to do? Um, if we want to hear God's voice, we've got to read his word. And so when we begin to read and we hear things and see things, uh, we've got to be able to immediately apply them. We're not just a hearer, we're a doer. So we have to listen, and then we have to be active in that. Another thing is we've got to stop allowing barriers to get between us and God. There, were, there was distance between Mary and Joseph and Jesus. There was distance between. Um, I think it's really dangerous when people begin to drift 
and stop coming to church. That's, that's really a good sign of where somebody is, I think, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. But if people miss and continue to miss, we ought to take that as an alarm. Like there ought to be a buzzer going off to us saying they hadn't been here in three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. Uh, the statistics are that six weeks, six to eight weeks, they're gone for good. Probably won't come back. So we have to be attentive to when people are kind of creating a distance between us and them. And we need to do our very best to try to you know, circumvent that. We've got to figure out a way to try to uh, break down that barrier. And when people put up a barrier, and you'll have people that do this to you, it'll hurt. But somebody will say, I wish you wouldn't talk so much about Jesus. I wish you wouldn't talk so much about the church or the Bible or whatever else. And, and, and so when you see somebody putting barriers up, you've got to help to try to knock those things down. Uh, don't allow anything to get between you and your relationship with God. Uh, uh, D, stop neglecting the assembly. I mean, we, we obviously we need to be here. This is where we are. This is our uh, rallying cry. This is our uh, booster shot. <laughs> this is, th- there's a lot of benefit to being together, and we should make it a priority. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we had a lady at a congregation. I challenged them to, to try to make every service in one year to see if they could do it. And I remember she had to work one night, and she was so upset because she had missed in several weeks. And I, I, you know, I told her, I said, well, it's good that you're upset. <laughs> you know, you, if you want to be here, you put that as a priority. I mean, if you, I don't know if you've ever recorded a show before that was on TV. You know, I don't want to miss it. You know, I'll get home, turn it on. I got my program on. Nowadays, you can record weeks and hours of them. I was at somebody's house here just the other day, and they were recording a ball game, watching it back. And I knew the score at the end of the game, but I didn't tell them. I said, I know, I know who wins, but I'm not going to say it to you. But... Um, We've got to make sure that we're here every opportunity that we have. And we need, to, we need to get excited about it. Yeah, it was. And I heard people tell me, of course, I did the video production for that, for, our, for ours for uh, 26 weeks that we filmed our, our services. And I would have people tell me, it's just not the same. I, I can't sing. I was like, well, we put... Acapella music on there. It's not just one person leading. We, we, we found recordings and played them. But some people had a hard time singing. And some people had a really hard time getting focused in their PJs. You know, it's kind of hard when, um, you know, I stand to praise you in my fuzzy bunny slippers. You know, you, when you come to God, you know, you, when you come to worship, you usually are attentive to your dress and your mindset. And so it was extremely hard for people because they... They could worship on their couch. In fact, you could, times, what time's worship? 10 o'clock? Nah, you can do it at 3 if you want because the service is recorded. You just do it whenever you want. You can do it at 5 o'clock in the evening if you want. And so we became uh, somewhat uh, lazy and, and apathetic to things. So we, we, it's taken us a while. And I know we use COVID sometimes as a crutch. It's been a while, but, but we did kind of get into a mindset that we could just do things whenever we wanted, however we wanted. And I was, I was fearful through the pandemic that I thought people would, when they opened the doors, they'd be somewhere else. Because if the church where you were at and, and their service wasn't that great, you know how many people would call me and text me through the week and say, we watched your service Sunday because ours was terrible because we had worked so hard on the production of those. But it wasn't the same. It was good, it was useful, but it wasn't the same. And so we have to get to a point where we don't, we don't keep ourselves from the assembly. 
And then stop searching for him in the wrong places. Going back to what I said a minute ago, you're not going to find salvation in a relationship with anybody else. You're not going to find it in, uh, in a crutch like alcohol or drugs. And you will find that the people that usually have got that far with their life, it's because they're missing. There's a hole in their heart that only God can fill. And they've tried to fill it with other things. And, and they will eventually hit rock bottom. And we, what we need to do maybe is when we see people collapsing and their whole world falling apart, is to try to pick them up and help them, not to criticize them or make fun of them or say, well, you get what you deserve. Instead, maybe we lift them up and say, hey, we've all been here before. Maybe not in your exact situation, but we can appreciate it. We're going we're gonna to work together. Um, if you ever been to a hospital during the middle of a, a rush, uh, I went to the hospital one time. It was during... What's the thing they have down there at the wharf that they had to call in all the chaplains? Uh, widespread panic. That's what it was down there at the wharf. And they called the chaplains and said, we need as many of you here as possible because we'll have every room full of kids tripping on drugs. And that was not a time to walk in on somebody that thinks that the whole walls are covered in spiders and that they can fly to say, you know, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? What you do is you hold their hand, you talk them through it, you pray with them. And then as they get more calm, you, you begin to try to talk to them about their walk with God if they have one. Sometimes it's hard to just immediately come right out with it. Now, some people need that. They need a shock, a spiritual shock. But more than likely, they're not looking for you to preach a sermon. They're just looking for some help. And so we offer the help, but we do it in a Christ-like way, and we talk about Jesus, and we pray together. But we don't have to go in immediately and start hitting them with a five-point sermon. More than likely, they won't be attuned to that. So when people are in need, Jesus met their physical needs first, didn't he? He'd feed them and then teach them. And that's the way we ought to be, is we got to find what people's needs are, meet those needs, and then in that moment, take advantage of it. Uh, I don't know anybody, in my estimation, I've lived in Baldwin County for 16 years, I don't know anybody that's been converted by a street preacher in Baldwin County. Maybe I'm wrong. But we can go out there and stand in front of Walmart and yell scripture at people. I don't think it's going to be responsive. But if there are certain events in our community where we can go and we can wear our nice shirts, you know, and we can hand out bottles of water, uh, hand out tracts, we can have conversations with people that are sick, uh, you can go to the hospital and sit in the waiting rooms, all kinds of things where you can meet people where they are. And then, by being a good Christian example, you can maybe talk to them about their spiritual lives. That makes sense? So we, we don't need to lose Jesus. We need to make sure that we keep him close to our heart. What else can we do to make sure our relationship with God is not impacted negatively? What else can we do? Talk about prayer and Bible study coming to church, assemblies, what else? What about having a circle of people around you that think like you do and encourage you and keep you accountable, that can say, hey, look, I've, I've, I've seen this happen where you can tell by somebody's behavior that something's on their mind. You can tell. And you may not bring it up in a group, in a crowd, but you might get off to your, by yourselves and say, are you okay? 
I, I get this sense that maybe you're going through something right now, or is there a problem that we need to pray about? And they may open up to you, but we need a circle of people around us that we can pray with. There ought to be somebody right now on your phone you can call in, in a minute and say, can you pray for me right now? And they'll do it. And if you don't have somebody like that, you need to find 10 of them. I mean, tonight. Find people that you can call on and they can pray for you immediately, that they can counsel you, that they can encourage you. Get a circle of people that will be there to support you because there will be times you'll need them and there'll be times that they need you too. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe to our social media pages. You can find channels and links on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok pages. Check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want to send some prayer requests or suggestions about upcoming content, please email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.